Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. So, Carl Magnus Palm, welcome again, this time to an update interview. A little bit, in a sense, a little bit, I would say a little bit superficial, not as deep as the other interview, which we really went into the, the career and lives of ABBA, because you are, of course, a historian, an author, and an ABBA specialist. And last time we 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 went over the whole of the the fifty years um, history because of your book Aberet Fifty. Now there's always time to write another Abba book, it seems. <laughs> and concurrently, and after that, you've been working on Abba on record. Can you tell me about the genesis of of this book and what what's this really focusing on? Well. Um... ABBA record, I've written many books about ABBA. Um, I've written biographies and I've written special interest titles that focus on a certain uh, aspect. And this falls into the latter category, I would say. Um, the uh, It's like a companion volume to another book that I wrote, which is called ABBA, The Complete Recording Sessions. And that book was based on my research into the archives, and I've listened to tapes of unreleased music and alternate mixes, etc., 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 and pieced together the story of how and when ABBA's music was made. So this companion volume is, you know, the the, the, the complete recording sessions was about okay, this is what's this is 
what happened when ABBA were in the studio, their creative work. And this is about what happened to the music after it had left the studio. So it's about the album sleeves and uh, and how the record companies promoted the uh, the records, how, how ABBA themselves promoted the records. There are some of their promotion tours and stuff like that. And... Um, and also how they were reviewed at the time, which is kind of eye-opening, actually, to sort of get extracts from that and see, you know, what, how, what the attitude really was like at the time. What, what and, was the attitude? Well, it was, I mean, when I first started out writing about ABBA, which was about 30 years ago in the early 90s, I my impression was oh you know they they only got bad reviews everyone hated them that was my how I came into it uh everyone hated them when everyone I mean reviewers and and music journalists but it turned out that it wasn't quite as clear cut as that it was um they, they got really really great reviews uh from from especially in the United States, which which is kind of interesting because that was always the problem for 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 ABBA, the problematic <laughs> country for ABBA, which because they never became as big there as they were everywhere else. Um, but in the United States, they they perceived ABBA as like a breath of fresh air. It was the antithesis to say rock gods like led zeppelin or you know they they felt wow these these uh, this group uh, they're going back to the to the early 60s to phil Spector productions uh you know the crystals the runettes the do run run that kind of thing and it's this is what rock rock and pop music is supposed to be about and concurrently with with those reviews here in sweden there was like, oh, you know, but they're doing this commercial pop music and it's superficial and they don't sing about anything important. And so it was a, a, a really, really interesting contrast. Uh, just the other day, I was looking at reviews for The Winner Takes It All, the single. And now we're obviously, now we're sort of later in the ABBA era. And, and some of the reviewers at the time they wrote, well, well, you know, this is yeah, more of the same. It's it's the usual you get from ABBA. You know, they they'll keep their old fans, but they're not going to gain any new ones from this song. Uh, <laughs> which is, I'm not saying you know, oh, how stupid they were, because you know, it's it, it was new. No one had heard it then. Today, this is like, oh, this is their best song ever, and everyone regards it as a classic. And whether you're an ABBA fan or not, you sort of acknowledge that this is the best thing they ever did. You know, or top three or top five at least um so it tells you something about the times it tells you something uh it tells you something about the attitudes and and also how hard it is to review something that you've only heard like two or three times and and be fair about it and and you know um and also those reviews they didn't exist in a vacuum you know if what else was coming out at the same time in 1980, what, who else were, were releasing records and how did it compare to that? So, well, th that kind of thing I found completely fascinating. I mean, I, you know, what also is really fascinating is that, uh, you know, on your website or you, 
you've got some sort of details written down of, of some stories that are in the book. And one relates to this, where you're you going into detailed insights on ABBA's promotional trip to the United States in 76, which is obviously earlier than the winner takes it all and the problems they face. So what problems did they face um, in the States when you say that actually they were seen as a breath of fresh air? They they obviously it didn't go really according to plan from what you've written. No, I think, you know, the reviewers, uh, it was, it was if I'm, you know, uh, to, to put it more simply in general terms, it was the opposite of what it was like in Sweden, where the public couldn't get enough of them and the reviewers, some of them, or many of them were kind of skeptical. In the United States, it was the other way around. You know, the reviewers loved them, most of them anyway, and certainly, you know, in this early mid-period ABBA, um, uh, or the ABBA story. Um, but the public never really, you know, they didn't get that kind of universal love. I think the problem was they could have been bigger if they'd spent more time there. That's the simple answer. Um, Wasn't radio all... really sort of like at that point very separated into genres in, in, in America in any case? So when you came across, if you didn't fit into a certain radio format, you wouldn't get on air, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be pushed. And so in Europe, radio has been sort of, I would say, much more open and played different genres in the same programme. Yeah. So you would get coverage, whatever show that you went on. But in America, you wouldn't. No, that, that that's true. They, it was moving into that. And you had top 40 radio and things like that. And, you know, do we want to go with this single or not? And uh, it's it's also... I think they, I mean, there were there were all sorts of problems. I talked to people who promoted, uh, who promoted Abba's records in in uh, the United States, and they said, "Well, you know, we had this problem because they released so many singles, and we were it seemed we were always like one single behind, and all these, you know, in the know DJs." Well. Okay, so you want us to play Fernando, but I understand there's a new single out in the UK, which has already been number one, and it's called Dancing Queen. Shouldn't we be playing that? Why do you want want us to play this old song? <laughs> so, so they had that problem, and they had, and also, I think ABBA themselves were kind of, they remained kind of anonymous in in the US. They, there was nothing personal for the the US public to relate to and if you don't have that then that that's a problem it's it's and that's also because i think of the language barriers and things like that but more also because abba were what they were and they weren't they weren't really hey look at us you know we're the big stars you know they were kind of oh yeah yeah we're doing we're working on this and we're doing this and we're recording our music and you know, we live our <laughs> suburban lives. <laughs> that, I mean, uh, and yeah, it's another thing that that you've written, which I also found fascinating, is uh, the story behind the ban on mining of records in the UK on top of the pops, which meant that ABBA stayed away from the UK um, for two and a half years, or the television appearances in the UK for two and a half years. Um, could they not sing their songs? and play them live was it an impossibility or did they just not want to give another version of what they had produced 
Well, their attitude and the attitude of of many people who who were going on to going on top of the pops was that you know we worked for hours and weeks and months to to make this perfect production of this song. And now you want us to do like to perform it in an inferior way, you know, that, that's not, that's not right. But the main thing really was that the top of the pops producers, the BBC, didn't want them, didn't want anyone to perform live on those shows uh, because it was too difficult to, um, you know, it's. Top of the post was like, okay, now it's this song, and now it's that song, and we're on this stage and that stage, and other, you know, and to sort of have control over all, you know, the different levels, volume, and blah blah blah, and sounds. So, so I'm, I'm getting this wrong, Emma. They stayed away because they had to mime. Yes. Ah, okay. Yeah, no, I've got it the other way the, around. No, sorry. no, no. Sorry, no, 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 no. It's 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 a combination of both. <laughs> right. Uh, that what the, what they objected to was that they had to in three hours, record a completely new version of the song uh, in a studio and then mime to that. So if you listen to old appearances of ABBA on uh, on Top of the Pops, if you watch those, you hear, okay, this is not Fernando as we know it. It's, it's a new version that they put together. This is not uh, whatever, Waterloo, for instance, you can hear. So, and they felt like, you know, it, it, it's not right. We shouldn't have to do that. But the thing was that because there were so many complaints, because if if Queen wanted to go on top of the pops with Bohemian Rhapsody, there was no way they were going to do a re-recording of that in three hours. So what they did allow was if you had a promo clip, then that could be, you, you could have that on the show instead. It's not what the top of the pops producers wanted. But they had, you know, it, it, that was a compromise. And if you if you paid the appropriate fees to the musicians' union, then a, a promo clip would be all right. Um, so, so ABBA had promo clips, you know. So they showed the promo clip for Dancing Queen instead, or if they used a television performance from some other country, um, and you know, the name of the game, the promo clip was shown instead of ABBA going on. Uh, so th they never, after Fernando, they were never on top of the pops again performing because they just felt, okay, we don't need to do this anymore. We're we're huge. We can sort of decide if we want to do this or not because we know that if we have a, a new single out. Uh, then Top of the Pops are going to want to show it, whether it's a promo clip or us appearing in person. So that really played to their advantage, probably, because obviously their promo clips were, you know, they were really of an order that, that worked um, yeah. for the band. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But it wasn't, you know, if you look at Top of the Pops, the whole point of Top of the Pops is that the artists are there and you have all the, this crowd and the, the cameras going around in the crowd, and that kind of feeling. So to show a clip is is wasn't, but it wasn't, you know, a perfect solution, but it was, they weren't alone in doing that. So, um, well, uh, that that's how, they, so that that's the reason why they didn't do it. And then, um a lot of people, a lot of artists that were on top of the pops, they did a bit of fibbing with this re-recording because they went to the studio, went to a recording studio and pretended to record a new version. And then 
when the musicians union representative came or the produ BBC producer will say, oh, here's the tape. And it was actually the original recorded version, the perfect version. And most of the time they they seemed uh, the actor did that. They did get away with it with it. And ABBA, they did that when they the next time they performed on British television again was in uh, 1978 when they were on the Mike Yarwood show and they performed, if it wasn't for the nights, which was a track from their forthcoming album, Voulez-vous and uh, thank you for the music. And they, that time they did exactly that. They, they pretended to record a new version, but submitted <laughs> the thing they had recorded in Stockholm and they got away with it. I know fitness is important, but I don't have time to keep up with all the fads and celebrity workouts that come and go. I need something backed by real science that will get real results and fits into my schedule. Caliber has been a lifesaver. It's a science-based fitness coaching program covering strength, nutrition, and healthy habits, completely customized to my needs and abilities. All I did was fill out their online assessment, and Caliber did the rest. The best part is, I'm not in it alone. Caliber paired me with an expert personal trainer who checks on my progress and keeps me motivated and on track. And I'm not the only one getting results. Caliber is top rated on Trustpilot with 4.9 out of 5 stars. On average, members achieve a 20% or better improvement in their body composition by week 12 of the program. Start a science-based fitness program you'll actually stick with. Get $100 off at CaliberStrong.com podcast. That's CaliberStrong.com slash podcast. You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Another thing that you mentioned is about the album designer, Runa Zordequist, um, and the sense of uh, aesthetics that he brought to ABBA. So what were they? Um, well, he... He came from the advertising world. So. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, simply put, in, in the time when albums weren't sold in large quantities, which is like the 60s mainly and maybe the very early 1970s, uh, when you wanted an album sleeve in this country, in Sweden, and also in the UK, uh, 
you what did you do well you went out somewhere in uh, you know a forest or some park or some nice area you took a picture of the artist or the group or whatever and then you gave it to to someone the designer who put together a sleeve and you know that was it um but what then you had it with, with from the Sgt. Pepper, the Beatles Sgt. Pepper album. That that's obviously kind of a milestone in album design, and then that became more and more apparent. You had this uh, this company in the UK, Hypnosis, who did the Pink Floyd sleeves and uh, 10CC and Wings and whoever else, and then it became more conceptual. It wasn't if you wanted to be taken seriously. Your album sleeve had had to look like there was some thought put behind, put in it or behind it. In well, I'm losing my British grammar. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, so what um, uh, what Rune he brought that kind of thinking that you know an album sleeve should look proper, but he also because he came from the advertising world, he 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 brought in that kind of thinking. You know, it's like what is this album saying? What what do we want to? See? How do we want to present them? Can we present them in a way that's 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 interesting? That makes you think. So, f- for instance, the first sleeve he he did was um, the Arrival album, and okay, so how do you present four people in a in a way that's natural or or interesting? Okay, let's shove them into a helicopter. That 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 will be a great image, you know, and you. So when you look at the sleeve, okay, why are they sitting in a in a in a helicopter? Okay, so the album is called Arrival. Okay, they're arriving, and then when you turn it over, you see the uh, the helicopter flying away. Where where are they flying to? What? Why are they there? You know, it it intrigues you a bit more than someone standing beside a tree smiling. <laughs> you know, uh, it represents many other things, doesn't it? It also sort of represents success, movement. I, I presume that you know. All those things are wrapped up in in the thinking behind such an image. Exactly, and obviously, also the the most important thing he brought to to Abba's you know design universe, if we call it that, is that he uh, he invented the Abba logo uh, with a backwards B that became so iconic and which is you know uh, really you know timeless and still works today. Um, so he felt you know we, we they you need to present this group in a unified way. You can't have this free-for-all thing that you have. Because if you look at ABBA's singles and ABBA's album sleeves in the before he came along, in the various countries where they were released, they look, you know, sometimes they look really terrible. <laughs> and and it's, it's like anyone can do anything they want, Uh with a with an ABBA sleeve, and he, uh, that went against everything that he thought was important in terms of design and and visual presentation. He obviously came along later than the actual name ABBA was invented, and you you talk about that as well, and uh, and you describe it as an ultra detailed essay on how the group name Bjorn and Benny Agnesa and Frida was changed to ABBA. So mm-hmm. what exactly happened? Well, um, what happened was that they, uh, you had to go back to the very early ABBA days to, to sort of understand this process because when they started recording together, there was a duo called Bjorn and Benny, which was Bjorn Lovese and Benny Anderson. Okay. And they, they had a dream 
of reaching outside Swedish borders with English language pop music. Um, so they try, well, let's try to record this song in English together with Angeta and Frida. Um, and just as an experiment, because everyone would, they were all busy with other, with other things. This wasn't like their main career or anything like that from that day. It was like, just let's try it and see what happens. Okay, so what are we going to call ourselves? Well, we can't call ourselves Bjorn and Benny because the, <laughs> the girls are singing on it. They have lead vocals. So, okay, it's Bjorn and Benny, Agneta and Anifried. Okay. Um, and and then that when People Need Love, which was that song that they recorded, became a success. They, they started recording more and they made an album and blah, blah, blah. And obviously everyone realized, well, if we want an international career, we can't very well call ourselves Bjorn, <laughs> Bjorn and Benny, Agneta and Anifried. You know, most people outside Sweden can't even pronounce Agneta. Which is uh, Agneta is the the, uh, like the yeah yeah exactly the, it's the the correct name I've never I I I don't think I've heard anyone from an English speaking country ever pronounce that name correctly however hard they try it's a sound there that you don't have we have it anyway and it's you know it's okay Crosby Stills Nash and Young fine those are English uh, syllable uh, you know short syllable names um, whereas this these swedish uh <laughs> names it's going to be too too difficult we have to find something else so so it started with with um stig anderson just for fun he moved around the um uh, the first the, the first letter of each of their first names so you have a frangnita B for Bjorn, B for Benny, and A for Anifrid. And just say he said ABBA just for fun. We have a, fi a canned fish factory here in Sweden that's also called ABBA. So it was like, ha, 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 ha. I'm, I'm referring to them as ABBA when he wrote like memos in the office and when he talked to the media uh about them just because he did he you know he got fed up with having to rattle off their own as well, you know, ABBA. Blah, 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 blah. And then that was picked up by by the media, they started writing using that ha 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 as a joke, but sometimes not as a joke. They just wrote it, and now we're like in early 1973, even before Ring Ring, and Waterloo didn't happen until a year later. So it's very still it's it's kind of early when this starts appearing, um, um, and then they and then there was like a discussion back and forth because the group didn't feel very enthusiastic about the about this uh, name it's like people going to think about canned fish when they hear our music <laughs> and stig argue well that's only in scandinavia you know there's no one who knows anything about abel canned fish factory uh, uh, in the rest of the world so and he argue you know it's it's a good name you can say it in any language uh, you can say it, you know, in Sweden, we say ABBA. In the UK, you say ABBA. In the United States, they say ABBA. And I'm sure there are a million other ways to pronounce it. But, you know, it's a short, simple name. You can say it wh whichever way you want. I even heard some someone actually told me uh, they were on holiday in some country quite far away from Sweden. I, I don't recall exactly. And, uh, and they were playing some music by ABBA. And they were Swedes. And they... Came up to this this band who were playing this music and so oh you're playing ABBA songs and so like, what? Well, you're playing ABBA songs. Oh, you mean ABBA? 
so <laughs> so there's all sorts of uh, variations on that. But then eventually it kind of there was a competition and there were all sorts of things. But in the end, they sort of said, OK, let's go with ABBA. Uh, they they sort of admitted defeat, but I don't think they were ever quite happy with with that name. And it's more, it's much more. I I could tell you more details, but then I would have to read from my book. And um... <laughs> well, I think everyone else should read from your book when it's out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It is uh, on pre-order, I understand. So uh, if people want to pre-order, they can go to your website. Just finally, because um, as I said, this is a short interview. Stig Anderson was, um, you know, one of the most integral people in the success of ABBA, and we're in Eurovision season. Um, and everyone, of course, will forever associate Eurovision um, with ABBA. Um, what did you find out was the most important thing um, that Stig did to make ABBA successful at Eurovision? Well, I, I would say the most important thing he did was that he laid the groundwork long before they were actually seen on television at Eurovision in April 1974, he had made sure that the record was released in as many countries as possible. He had gone on trips and told them, you know, we're going to be there. You're going to see us. It's You have this, this strong, this record that's bound to be a hit, you know, make the most of it. So he had sort of, it was like, the 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 analogy they like to use themselves the ABBA organization is it was like it was like pushing a button and everything just happened for them and it made it so much bigger than it would have been otherwise so that's that's the thing because otherwise Eurovision winners might sort of oh we won uh what do we do now and then you know momentum is lost and two weeks later <laughs> or two a month later at least no one's interested anymore whereas they they um in abba's case everything was prepared and they could sort of build on that first success from that they achieved with waterloo so that was that was his his biggest uh you know achievement in terms of in terms of uh, the eurovision song contest it does seem that the abba story just will go on and on um forever and um, as I said, this book will be out uh, later on this year. It's already um, available for pre-order on your website. It's always fascinating to talk to you because uh, for me, I find out <laughs> so much more um, about a band that I thought I knew quite a lot about, <laughs> but you know so much of the detail. And I want to end with something which if you can say in very short terms, because you talk about a chain of circumstances related to people need love that if they had panned out differently, could have spelled the end of ABBA before they even started. What could have happened? Well, uh, without giving away too much, uh, uh, it's they they almost, if I if I phrase it this way, they they were they almost didn't get the all important promotion on Swedish radio that they needed at the at the time, and if they hadn't 
you know, had been if that people song "People Need Love" hadn't been played on the radio, um, uh, in this high-profile context, may, there's a big chance that it would never have become a hit. And if it hadn't become a hit, they might have said, "Well, okay, so that didn't work. Let's do something else." And they wouldn't have pursued um, the, the recording career as a foursome. Oh, amazing. Karl Magnus Pan, thank you. Um, if anyone wants to know more about ABBA, there is a deep dive interview which we did just before Christmas, which is absolutely fascinating. And it goes through the whole history, you know, in in uh, and coincides with the ABBA at 50 um, book. Um, yeah, I just want to say thanks again. I, I love talking to you because it is really fascinating, all these stories uh, behind ABBA. And I will probably see you again later in the year, I'm sure. Thank you. I hope so. Thank you, Steve. It's the most wonderful time of the year, Christmas. And what better way to get into the holiday spirit than with a Minky Couture blanket? Whether you're gathered around the tree with loved ones, roasting marshmallows by the fire, or just looking for a cozy way to stay warm on a chilly night, Minky blankets are the perfect addition to your Christmas festivities. With a wide range of festive designs and colors, you can find the perfect blanket to match your holiday decor or gift to your loved ones. So this Christmas, make your holiday even cozier with a Minky Couture blanket. Head to MinkyCouture.com now and find your perfect blanket, just in time for the holiday. Happy holidays from Minky Couture. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.